Hello and welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about the issue of sin management. Is trying harder to overcome my sin, is that a lifelong battle or does it ever get easier? Am I supposed to just roll up my sleeves and fight this out or is there a way to have more victory? Totally. Does that sound right? That sounds great. Uh, yeah, sin management's a. It's like a. It's like a copyrighted phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, like in outside of Christendom. Yeah. Chris- Christendom. <laughs> <laughs> you might not know what that means, right? You know, if you were, if you were like pulling the people of Olympia and you said, "What does sin management mean?" Mm. You know, I don't know. If we're kind know. of talking about is it possible to really change, to overcome, to be free from? Yeah some of that fight. So it's going to be a great conversation, but first it's joke or story time. And please, John, tell me you do not have a joke. Still no joke. Okay, good. I'm still just saving them for a rainy day. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it's only episode 29. We got lots of time. <laughs> oh, this is number 30. This is 30. That's right. Yeah. We got plenty of time. Yeah. for. We've been doing for this for jokes. 30 weeks. That's crazy. That is, that's kind of mind blowing because it feels like yesterday. Yeah. And we haven't missed a week yet, which means at episode 52, it will have been a year. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Assuming we've been at it seven full months now. That's a little crazy. I did the math today. Seven months. That's a long time. That is. I'm enjoying it. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. All right. Story time. Yeah. So uh, when I was a a barista. barista. (laughs) Isn't it barista? (laughs) Is it barista? I'm kidding. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) You're so witty. I know. Um, Anyway, when I was a coffee maker. Uh, there was primarily, you know, there's lots of like service, uh, worker nightmares, right. With like, like, like bad stories mm. with bad customers. Yeah. And, uh, I don't have many of those cause I mean, I was only there for like nine months or so, maybe 10 and, uh, by and large, everyone was great. And, uh, there was one case where, uh, uh, this guy came in and I've actually, I've told you this story before, but you might've forgotten and, um, older guy and he's, he's upset before you know before the door opens he's upset so there's not a ton we can do for him already and uh he you know gets his drink i don't think there's anything wrong with that with the the drink he you know but he's just kind of huffing and puffing about everywhere he goes just Hmm. you know yeah really upset no gratitude for the service no thank you just very brisk no politeness no and uh, kind of a constant scowl on his face yeah and uh anyway so he comes up and asks for the the wi-fi password Oh no! And (laughs) your Wi-Fi password over there was a joke. It was a mess. I won't. I'll refrain from saying what the place was to spare any embarrassment. But the Wi-Fi situation was a train wreck. Yeah, Uh, it was. It was a a mess of words and numbers, and we weren't allowed to write it down and like have it displayed. And so basically, if anyone came up and asked, just to spare the whole me me saying it to them as they transpose it into their phone, uh, I would print out some or or pull out some receipt paper, write it on him and hand it to him. So, uh, he comes up and asks and I say, well, you know, it's a, it's, or maybe it was actually my coworker. Uh, he said, uh, you know, it's a little complicated. Let me write it down for you. And he said, no, just tell me. And so he starts R 23, seven forty eight. Yeah. It was actually Rumpelstiltskin. It was something like curly Raven four through three, five, I think some numbers. Anyway, he, but like he just starts saying it, and the the guy's like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" 
<laughs> and he's probably 70. And he's like, uh, he says, uh, he says, this is your, your boss set this up. And he's, and we're like, yeah. And he's like, well, tell your boss that he is a blithering idiot. <laughs> tell him that, will you? And we were like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We will. Yeah. <laughs> and then he stormed off. And uh, did he leave or sit back down no, with his could, coffee? He, he sat down with his coffee for a while, but I could tell he was just stewing. And then eventually he just got up and huffed out, you know, walked out the door. Now I got to tell you, I'm having a deja vu moment. Yeah. I don't know if you've told me this story some other time in my life, or if we've actually told this story on a podcast before in these 29 other episodes, but I'm having a serious deja vu moment. I, I remember telling you this story pre-podcast. Okay. But there is a good chance because both of our memories are pretty, you know, uh, yeah, rusty. So what, what, is there a scientific explanation for deja vu? Uh, yeah, I think it's something like so. Your mind, you know, your mind is just synapses firing. Yeah, and it's where like there's like a stutter and it goes does the same thing twice. That's what I think it is. What? Yeah, so like there's different diamonds of deja vu. One, you know, there's like this a similar moment happens. That twice. eerie moment where you're going, I've been in this moment before. Right. That, Those, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm saying that you're. It's actually one moment you have not been there before. And you just had the same root of synapses in your brain fire at the same time or, or one after the other really quickly. And it feels like like so, so you're accessing memory immediately after it happened. Weird. Yeah. But I think there's also times where it really is eerie because you've been in that like this. I, I'm yeah. sure I've told you. The yeah, story you have before. told me the story before. So yeah. it's not the same as what I was talking about with deja vu. That's really weird. Mm hmm. Hey, let's have one more little short conversation before we dive into today's topic, because your story was kind of short and, um, you know moderately interesting so <laughs> you made a statement thank you for <laughs> gracing me with that compliment hey we are truth tellers yeah yeah uh no most, spin here this time. is the no spin zone yeah uh so you mentioned uh earlier to me that um you now are a subscriber to the disney stream thing or are you stealing it are you subscribed oh i'm so, what do you mean are you paying stealing it yeah i'm paying you're paying. I'm paying money. Okay. Some people steal. I don't steal. Okay. I do a lot of other questionable stuff. I don't do you steal. not watch my Amazon account at your house? That's not stealing. It's not? I don't know. We could have a whole ethical issue on whether that's stealing or not. Yeah. So my question is, you said you have a theory that all children's movies are sad when you're an adult. Not, yeah. So, so tell me what you mean by that. To, to listeners, right before I hit record, I started a story, which I... <laughs> I shouldn't have done. <laughs> but we were, I, I subscribed to Disney Plus along with 700 million of my closest friends. Yeah. Uh, they really have that many already? It was insane. Like the services buckled the first day because so many wow. people were on there. Yeah, it was crazy. I would not have bet money on that. Really? Yeah. Oh, this was hotly. I have zero interest in that channel. Well, you're you're not the target audience, maybe. I guess you got to get, if you want Star Wars, that's where you're going to get it. Yeah, you want Star Wars, National Geographic, Marvel, Fox. Uh, Pixar that counts separate, which it isn't really. But anyway, uh, I'm still not compelled. Anyway, you were saying this thing. I bet, okay. if, you, I bet if you had grandkids over a lot, you, you would. I would then. Yeah. Yes. So I was saying we we uh, Lindsay's a huge Disney fan, and so we she had on uh, the the Goofy movie, and uh, it's basically about it ends well like all kids movies, but it's about a guy who was really close with his dad trying to be close with his son. And his son just doesn't like him. And he's just the whole time just being. Why is uh, that the Goofy movie? Because it's Goofy. It's Goofy the character. And Goofy's wanting to be close to his son? Yeah. 
And, and his, his son doesn't want anything to do with him. No, because his son's cool and goofy. is goofy. It's his name. There's nothing <laughs> he can do about it. So his son is embarrassed by him because yes. he's so goofy. Yes. That's terrible. That's very sad. And then eventually, you know, they have... What are they trying to time. teach my grandchildren? Well, eventually they're trying to teach them to tell the truth and, and you know, be nice to your dad. But Your boring, goofy, <laughs> embarrassing dad. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I like that. When the second movie, Goofy is cool. He, oh. Max learns that his dad can skateboard and they, you know, they go to the X Games and stuff like that. So it, it gets even better from so there. So tell me what you mean by your theory. Well, my theory being, like you, like you said, that most, I wouldn't say all because. You the, did say all. I did say all. On air, I wouldn't say all. <laughs> <laughs> most children's movies are sad when you are an adult and not a kid anymore. Because of the serendipitous, I'm not a kid anymore sad or because the content is sad. Sometimes so, uh, because like so, a lot of it, a lot of the point of the of the first Goofy movie is that Goofy remembers being close to the son when he was young, and all the sweet you know times that you're bringing together. tears to my glass eye. I know, and then Max becomes a teenager and he doesn't want to be close to his dad anymore. So that that's was horrible. It. I know, I know. You're preaching to the choir. Well, this is that movie, but you made a blanket statement that kids' movies are sad when you're an adult. I'm trying to think of... I'm, so my mind started fluttering through the card catalog of kids' movies. Okay, so... Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, kids' movies when I was a kid, are, to you, were going to seem like they came out pretty recently. So, like, Up, you know. Is Up sad? I've never up saw is it. super sad. Everyone... What's sad about it? It starts with a guy going through his whole life with his wife in this beautiful montage, and then she dies. And they can't... They, they have, like, a... They figure out they can't have kids... And then they get old and she gets sick and dies. Why are they making kids' movies like that? Because it's important to the rest of the story. This guy goes on to have a great relationship with this young Boy Scout kid who he's not related to. And they have a father-son relationship because his dad's a a, a, a skip. Is that what it is? He, he left. And this guy could never have kids and his wife died. A dad who leaves is called a skip? I don't know. I was thinking like a skip, like a, like a guy who skips parole. Skips yeah. bail. Skips bail, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't think that applies. Anyway, it's just that you know when you're a kid, you're not thinking that. Give me another one. That's up. Give me another one. You did not warn me about being put on the spot like this. Well, I'm another fascinated one. by the theory that they're sad. So far, you're 100%. They're sad. Those are sad stories. Yeah. Princess and the Frog. I think, asterisk to the theory, the newer the children's movies get, the less sad they get because they're a little less risky. Up came out pretty recently, so that's an exception. Mm-hmm. But if you think of, uh, like, uh, Frozen is... Sad and yeah, Frozen's not sad. That's sad in a vacuum. Like, oh, their parents died, but they don't really attach you to the parents before they die. So, like in in in, uh, in Frozen, terms, her parents are dead. Mm-hmm. They died in a, a shipwreck. Wow. So yeah. these are trying to give hope to kids who already have a sad thing. They're trying. To, these are, these stories are sad, but they show you that beauty comes out of sadness. Is that what's going on? I don't know. I just know that watching them in retrospect is oftentimes very sad. Well, this is confusing me and makes me want to cuss. So let's talk about cussing management and sin management. Uh, that was a great, <laughs> great segue. <laughs> <huh>? segue. <laughs> we'll come back next week. We'll have a recurring segment, sad children's movies. <laughs> and I'll come back with a little, a yeah. little brief. Uh, I, that would make me sad. I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, so here's my question. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, um, man, the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Mm-hmm. Wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin and death? Is that life the way it is? Or is that life the way it is before you truly encounter God? Is there a different life available to you than that one? Or is that just the way it is the rest of your life? 
So I've, I've often, I'm sure with a lot of Christians, found a lot of solace in that passage because it's very, you feel it. Yeah. But if I remember correct, it's a, it's a, it's part of a, um, uh, I forget the, the phrase, but it, it's part of like a series. He says that, and then he has another phrase that mirrors that. And he says, this was me before, and this is me now. Hmm. Well, he goes on, mm-hmm. but let, let's go. I'll go to the go on part after we explore this question, because really for years I've had this question. Mm-hmm. Is Romans 7 what it's like before you're a Christian, and Romans 8 is what it's like after you're a Christian? Or are they both being a Christian, and here's how to win the sin battle? Okay. So is it true, John, mm-hmm. that my battle with whatever is never going to stop, and I'm going to feel like Romans 7 my whole life? Man, I just keep doing the things I don't want to do. And man, the things I want to do, I don't do them. Is that, am I doomed to that until Jesus comes? I believe in... Um I, I should know the terms in my from my classes and stuff, but in I think I believe it's sanctification. Yeah, in getting progressively more and more like Jesus, if you mm-hmm. as, as you pursue Him, you know, throughout your life. Yeah, so we're conformed over time. Obviously, exactly. Yeah, it's so a process. I've been saved. I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Yeah. Um, and so I I do believe in that, and I you know I believe that uh, after walking with god for a long time you're going to be pretty good at it Hmm. um but i don't think that you're i think that that battle is always going to be taking place and that your mindset on it can change so you can be you don't have to be in turmoil about it your whole life right but the the truth of it will be there for your whole life okay so um if somebody comes to you and says hey john i can't overcome my sin What's your advice for me? How do I, what do I do? And go ahead and pick a sin. You can say, we're talking about whatever. I'm a, I'm a habitual liar or I'm trapped in lust and I can't stop lusting. Um, whatever. I smoke and I can't quit smoking. Mm-hmm. Pick a thing. I'm not saying that it's sin. It's just a thing you don't want to do anymore. And you're having trouble. Um, are, are you tracking with me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I am. So what advice do you have for a sinner? <laughs> a sinner uh, who loves god yeah but but can't stop sin i'm just super tired of this am i is this the way it's going to be the my whole life how do i make this not the way it's going to be i would say uh that the this is a lot of kind of you know common sense advice type stuff it's yeah. not none of this is original john thoughts and you know, i can't put my stamp on it okay um but uh Staring at the sin you don't want to do anymore is not always productive because it's on your mind a lot. Um, and there's practical steps you can do outside of the realms of spirituality because, you know, even people who don't believe in God have changed bad behavior. Yeah. So there's stuff like uh, if you have, uh, um, I don't know if you're really any like uh, habitual um, addiction based sin. Sure. Don't, don't be don't try not to be uh, not busy. Try to stay busy all the time. Right. Right. Better way to say that. Right. Uh, you know, idle hands or the devil's play things is right. The, yeah. And uh, so that's like a practical advice, but, but not focusing on that and focusing and not focusing on uh, abstaining from things instead, focusing on partaking in things. 
So partaking in uh, scripture, prayer, um, and that's tough almost against the practical side because if you're making time for prayer, you're making time for whatever you want in that it's in the sort of staying busy thing is what i'm saying so but, you're saying stop focusing on what you're trying not to do and mm-hmm. focus on what you want to do right and kind of like and how run toward new habits run exactly. toward new content run and, toward new fulfilling things and have faith that that uh that that will do for you what god says it'll do for you and that yeah. it'll that you'll conform more and more like i said with sanctification yeah to the the likeness of jesus yeah well so far, you and your wife have failed to give me a grandchild. But when you do, <laughs> you will learn in this parenting mode when they're uh-huh. little, when they're little punks that um, you can either um, take away what they want, or you can swap what they have so that they're now captivated by the thing you put in front of them, and oh. you don't have to take it from them and get them to comply. It's a little cheating technique, yeah, where you you know you offer them something that they can play with. So that you can take away what they can't play with, a crystal candle holder or something, right? Yeah. Here's another another word you might not know. Uh, the the gender uh, neutral for nieces and nephew is nibbling. What? Yeah. Nibbling. Nibbling. And that is a niece or nephew without yeah. gender. Yeah. Well, it's just like it's like the plural, plural gender neutral niece and nephew. So you don't have to say my nieces and nephews. Oh, you can my, say my nibblings. nibblings. So of the of my nibblings, there are a few <laughs> that that probably wouldn't work with. They are some. There there's some. Uh, well, you learn some speed techniques too. So <laughs> it's like, uh, what's that over there? And Slide then you then you take that away, yeah. and you have this new thing. And they because their minds work so fast, they forgot about the thing. You've got it out of sight. It's got to be out of sight. If they see it, they don't forget about it. <laughs> so you're saying, like, we got to keep doing that. I got to keep playing these tricks on myself versus. Teaching the kid, I'm going to take that from you, and you're going to obey me, and you're going to switch to something else because you can't play with this. Mm-hmm. So when you have to take on the kid and say, you can't play with this, that's harder than swapping it, taking it away, which makes it easier because they forget about it. Now, the problem is next time they see it, they're going to reach for it again because yeah. they haven't been taught. You don't get to play with that. But there's – so, and we, we talked a little bit about a new um, – sort of addiction mentalities, how it's, how it's, uh, more of an illness, um, force of will is almost never enough. And, and this is specifically for addiction based sin. Uh, other habitual sins is probably similar, but force of will is almost never enough to break an addiction. You can't just, you know, a heroin addict can't just say, I'm not going to do, do it anymore. anymore. Yeah. They yeah. have to go to a facility, receive treatment. Um, I'm sure it's happened, but you know, so it's just saying I'm going to stop doing that is so unrealistic is the word I would use. Yeah. <clears throat> so so what, what's ask, your, what's your answer to that question? Well, I think that, that this is the equivalent to, uh, don't look at your sin. Stop looking at that candlestick and start looking at what you are able to play with the candlestick. I was saying that's a crystal candlestick is an example that gotcha. the kids playing with. Gotcha, you gotcha. you got to take it from them. So, so what the sin management idea is stop staring at the, at the, um, the magazine cover the bikini issue of of uh, Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. and instead pick up your Bible and look at this and see how God speaks to your heart, or uh, have a conversation with a friend. You know, for AA you have a sponsor. Right. And whenever you're struggling, you call that sponsor and they talk you off the ledge. Uh, so you're saying it's, it's it strikes me as the same strategy for getting the kid to quit playing with this thing they should right. play with. Sure. Well, you just you, you I'm do not going to talk to you about the thing you're playing with. I'm going to point you over here and get you to focus on something else. And um, so 
I'm, I'm wondering is 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 there ever a better answer for us than that or am i going to be living this way forever yeah well the so in the um the kind of rhetoric that paul uses right is that the you know the way of the spirit is uh truth and life and godly mm-hmm. things and the way of the flesh is always right death right and so he doesn't say just wrench your flesh until it faces where you want it to face. He says, exactly. let it go. He right. says, exactly. die, kill it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so how do you do that? How do you, um, so here's another way to word the question. And this is a little more, um, maybe a little more hostile way to word the question. Hmm. Jesus died on a cross for me. And he said, he bore my sin on the cross and he said, he set me free. Whoever, Whomever the sun sets free is free indeed, but I don't feel very free. Yeah. What exactly did Jesus do for me that sets me free? How do I get free? And we could talk about addiction, but because that's so complicated um, scientifically, sure. yeah. let's just talk about sin itself, just just sin. Um, what exactly did he do for me that sets me free? You know, mm-hmm. Can I have a higher degree of freedom? That's the question I'm kind of wanting us to to play with here. So let me ask you a different question to just get your brain moving a different way here. Think about the person you know who you think struggles with sin less than anybody you know. Is there someone that comes to your mind where you say, "Man, I, that guy seems to have it. He's 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 work he's flown on all eight cylinders, man. That guy I don't think he sins very often. I don't think it's a battle for him like it is for other people." Do you have anybody like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, what do you think their secret is? Uh, I don't know. The danger with that is, like, like you said before, you ha- you've had heroes who have very famous public failings, even just last episode. Um, but but people that I know personally, I I I assume that they have less of right, these. Right, they don't have they have. a they don't have a second life. They're hiding somewhere. Right, exactly. A secret life, exactly. Um. But a they're, lot of people well, do. They're all, <clears throat> with one exception, with one exception of some kind of a guy I went to school with who seems to be not human. He's he's like a, he's like created in a lab to be like <laughs> like the godly man. Really? Yeah. He's, and he's your age? Yeah. Yeah, buddy of mine. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, with one exception, they're all older. So that brings it in the sanctification thing. Right. Um, so that's one theory, but, but what, what do you think is up with that? Well, I think there are some people who are just more self-disciplined than others Mm -hmm. and, and they love self-discipline. I've got a friend who's a pastor down in Southern Washington and he is the most self-disciplined person I've ever met. Hmm. And so he seems to struggle less because he's so self-disciplined. I was thinking about a balloon, you know, you have a balloon that's maybe underinflated. Mm-hmm. And when you squeeze it, a little bubble might come out between your fingers. Sure. And then if you push that bubble in, what happens? It goes out somewhere else. Another bubble comes out somewhere else. And I'm wondering with our sin, is that what it's like? I mastered this sin, but that sinness in me is just going to show up somewhere else. It's going to pop out somewhere else. Or can there really be less of it? Yeah. Well, that brings – so So with the moral absolutes conversation, it was kind of like the – on my end, it's like – as soon as you say something is sometimes true, the floodgates are open. And now it can, now it is a, a real, it can be a common occurrence. So in this, what do you mean? I'll, I'll bring it around. So, okay. um, the, so saying like, 
you can never be free of your sin. That's an absolute statement. Right. And as soon as you say, but some people can be now that whole absolute statement is, is in pieces. It's blown it's up. Tattered. Right. So like with Moses, um, you know, he at one point was so, um, I don't know if the word would be holy, but he was, he was so righteous that the, the, his people couldn't look at his face anymore. Well, now let me help you there. Cause he wasn't righteous for that. He was sitting in the presence of God. He would go into the tent of meeting. Mm -hmm. God would come in there and talk to him. The Bible says like a man talks to his friend. I mean, that's how he was conversing with God. And when he would come out of the tent after being in the presence of God, his face would shine and the shine would go away. Hmm. The longer it had been since he was in the tent. But every time he went to the tent, this glow comes back. So it was really the righteousness of God on him. Almost just reflecting off of him. Right. Right. Gotcha. So, uh, I think one of the re- the reason this conversation matters to me so much mm-hmm. is that I think people give up on Christianity out of frustration that they aren't really changing. And they're like, well, I thought God was going to help me. I thought God was going to set me free. I thought I was going to ha- be a better person because of him. And I'm trapped in this, and I don't seem to be having any help. Why won't he? I have friends who have struggled with same-sex attraction, hmm. and they begged God to take away their same-sex attraction. Yeah. And because he wouldn't, they said, I guess this is who I am, and they give into that lifestyle and make a decision. I'm just going to practice this because if God didn't want me to, he would remove it from my life. Now, that's hmm. a much more – that's a tangent we could just get caught on. But the point is – People get really frustrated at the absence of spiritual power to overcome in their lives. And they yeah. think, well, being a Christian is no different than being not a Christian. It's only more frustrating because I have this higher standard I'm supposed to hit, but I don't have the ability to hit it. Right. And I didn't feel guilty about that until I knew Jesus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's directly addressed over and over, how the, the law brought death and Jesus brought life. Yes. So the law is the measuring stick and Jesus... By fulfills, fulfills it. Fulfills it. Yeah. 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 So um measure this is what <laughs> Jesus says. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus has a lot to say that is behavior based. You know, like if you uh, like seeming qualifications and you know, this is a, a sticky wicket to go yeah. back to that one. But uh, you know, that if you don't forgive uh your those who owe you, then your debtor won't forgive you. Yeah. Uh, that's a qualification. That's not just I profess Jesus as my Savior. That's I profess Jesus as my Savior and this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's still some behavior qualifications. Expectations. Yeah. yeah. So um, would you say then that even like like the heroes of the New Testament, right? So like, like Paul he probably had a pretty low sin occurrence count. You know, it's an interesting question because mm-hmm. um, he is the one that wrote Romans 7. Right. And so the question is, is Romans 7 Paul's confession of how hard it is for him to walk the Christian life? Or is he identifying with people in Romans 7? And then in Romans 8, he's telling them, here's the secret to get out of that. Hmm. So let's take our commercial break. And then I'm going to walk through uh, the first part of Romans 8 and see if there's a secret for us here that actually can deliver us from being trapped in the constant battle with our sin. Sounds good. See you guys in a few. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs. 
have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, for the last part of our, I always sound like feel like a radio host when I say that. Welcome back <laughs> <laughs> to, the, to the main to the final stretch of our episode. Yeah, exactly. The home stretch. The home stretch. So yeah. walk us through a little bit of. Okay, uh, so Romans, Romans seven 8. is you know he he, he says uh, man the things I don't want to do I keep doing the things I want to do I don't do wretched man that I am who can save me from this body of sin and death and then he answers his own question mm-hmm. thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, who can save me? Jesus can save me. Yeah. Then Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I messed up part of the verse there. If you're listening, I don't have my Bible open. I'm doing this from memory because I love Romans 8 and I've been trying to memorize Romans 8. I'm still early in that process, but but he says the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Mm-hmm. So there's this thing and then he goes into this description of uh that that the spirit of Christ is the secret. And he says so the life set on the spirit is life and peace, the life set on the flesh is death. Mm-hmm. And so this lifestyle then becomes opened up to us if you are walking by the flesh. If your mind, he goes on to say, if your mind is set on the things of the flesh, you cannot please God. But if your mind is set on the things of the spirit, you are pleasing to God. Hmm. And so there's this, uh, it's really like um, becoming a different person who's a person of the spirit rather than a person of right. the flesh. What what does all that make you think? Well, like, where are you going with that? If Because we, we've stayed pretty practical, you know, yeah. pretty um, kind of hands-on. That doesn't change the fact that it, you still have that battle. That doesn't change the reality of Romans 7. Right. That's just, you know, like we're saying, a different kind of way to, to think and feel about it. Yeah, and so in some ways what you're saying is with that is uh, I'm, uh, take your mind off the candlestick right. <laughs> right. and put your mind on the spirit. Right. And, and it doesn't say that he stops going for the candlestick. Right. So uh, – I have this thought, and this really came from a guy named Dallas Willard. He wrote a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite human beings to ever live. He died just a couple years ago. But he wrote a book called uh, Renovation of the Heart. He wrote one called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, just a rock star of a guy. He was the professor of philosophy and wow. religion at USC. Dang. And this guy just, man, uh, he, he walking and practicing the life of jesus this is this is the way mm-hmm. he would describe 
what God offers to us in the person of Christ is that we don't just, oh, Christ wrote the check for me and paid for my eternity. So now I'm just going to do the best I can till I get to eternity. And then I get to cash that check right? and I'll be sin free forever in eternity. But until then, I just got to tie a knot in this rope and hold on as tight as I can (laughs) till Jesus comes. And there's something better available to us than that. And what that is that's available to us is to actually experience the life Jesus experienced in our lives, which moves us to freedom. It moves us to uh, a new set of desires. It creates in us a new set of appetites. It, so it is a switch from this appetite to that one. But it's also, and this is the word I think is the key for me, is mm-hmm. governance. So uh, when you think about the life of the flesh. Yeah. You have these parts of you um, breaking you into segments, right? You have your body, which the, the your flesh, mm-hmm. uh, your appetites, your physical body, then then your uh, spirit, then your mind, then your soul, and then God. Mm-hmm. This is the life of the flesh, and each part is subservient to the part above it. So your soul is down here at the bottom, and God is at the bottom. This is what it is to be godless. Gotcha. So it's built from like a pyramid from the bottom up. It's, yes. Gotcha. And and the top of the pyramid is the power is the governor. So your flesh is your governor. And when you're before you know God, this is who we are. We are objects of wrath and our flesh is dominating us. Hmm. And so what happens when you become a Christian is typically what people do is they say, God, you've been at the bottom of my life. I want you to give me the power to do this flesh life better. I want to do the flesh life in a way that pleases you. I want to overcome my sin. So I'm going to sin less. I'm going to sin less. I'm going to sin less. I want want you, God, to help me do the flesh life better. Versus what God actually offers you is to crucify the self. Right. Then reverse the order of governance. God now is at the top. My soul submits to God and governs my life, which then governs my mind and my spirit, and my body now moves to the bottom of the food chain. My body actually gets the least amount of authority in me, my Hmm. flesh, because God has the authority, and my soul governs my life uh, in submission to God. Is this making sense to you? Yeah, and that produces, in the the ideal situation, an actual change in uh, desire. A transformation of everything. Yeah. And the thing I think about our soul is that it's very quiet. It can be wounded. It can be broken, but it does not scream for attention. Your mm-hmm. spirit does. My friend, uh, um, Ron Keast, he says, your, your spirit is like a Siamese cat and your soul is like a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> and so your soul kind of waits to be nurtured and loved and invited while your spirit is just angry or lustful or, you know, yeah. your spirits, uh, all over the place. And so you, you, ha- your, your soul to govern has to be, you have to quiet the self and invite God to govern your being through your soul, which is connected to God, the eternal part of you. Hmm. Learn to feed there to experience the life of Jesus in your soul, which will begin to translate in how you govern your mind and your spirit and your body. So is that then, you You know, we talked about the prison, you know, uh, that that uh, Jesus said the captives free spiritually but you still fight with your sin you're not you know you're not free from your sin anymore is that the only way to actually fulfill what they're talking about there and walk out of the prison 
I think so uh, because and it's still and it's still a in some ways a mind game mm-hmm. because what Romans then says is reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Reckon yourself. You know, I reckon I'm going to go to the farm today. I reckon <laughs> I reckon the mail will come later. You know, yeah. to reckon is to believe. So you 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 reckon yourself. You you accept this reality. I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. And so you you accept that as uh, as a, a by faith. You're still quite capable of sin, mm-hmm. but you would have to choose sin rather than be enslaved to it. Because you are dead to sin and alive to God. And as you live this life of Christ in you, alive to God, you actually, your desires change. Uh, you calibrate a new way of life, the Jesus life, yeah. by submission to God under the governance of your soul. So you could still reverse that because you're the keeper of the order. Mm-hmm. And you could say, no, I'm going deep for the flesh, man. I, I am craving sex with somebody i'm not married to i'm craving a drunk binge i you know i'm gonna feed that flesh um that would be your you're always capable of going back to that so i have a i was thinking in my own kind of when when we came back i was thinking that i would bring up um shame Mm. as kind of like the prison and this almost um kind of supersedes that as in it's not even if you're ordering your life this way, it's not part of the equation anymore. Yeah. Shame is gone because, again, you're not focused on the shame candlestick. Right. You're focused on the King Jesus who took your shame, and you're living in the light of that reality. I'm not ashamed because my shame is gone. Hmm. And, you know, we're humans are capable of uh, endless amounts of, uh, you know, of deceit to themselves. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, for, for years and years, you live that way, the the, the spirit first way, mm-hmm. you know, you reverse the, the pecking order and then you uh, have one of those bingers, you know, how do you, for one, even if you're living that spirit filled, filled life and spirit first life, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're still going to feel shame when you do things you're not supposed to. Well, um, John, first John says, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if mm-hmm. you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ. So when I do sin, I still go right back to my advocate and I start all over again. It's like a, it is like an alcoholic who's been sober for 12 years and then right. they get drunk. What do you do? Well, I go back to day one and I start again. It's okay. I, I start right there. I don't need to be ashamed of that drunk. I need to start with a new, a new day. And so this is the capacity in us for sin is always there, but we, but we have an in, also have an invitation to live a different kind of life attached to the Spirit of God. Here's the I think the big difference might be mm-hmm. that um, living for God means I'm trying my best to please Him. Right. But living with God means that Christ is living in me. My favorite verse, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. Hmm. And this life I live in the flesh back to the Romans eight, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm not living in flesh power. I'm living in God power. And so these are, I, I feel the power of that in the, the changing your order and use it. Like you said, the, you're the master of your, I forget what the word you used of uh, your flesh. Uh, uh, you, you govern. Uh, yeah, but your soul governs. Paul right. says, I beat my body into submission 
so that I will not be a slave to it. But what does that tangibly, what does that look like? If a guy wants to go from trying to do the flesh life the best way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he wants to reverse that order, what does that even tangibly, what does that look like? If you were to give him a list, say, do these things. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the scriptures is how we learn any of this. So Mm -hmm. they they get, um, we are are born again through the living and enduring word of God. So, man, there's just so much power in uh, taking the scriptures in, meditating on them and letting them speak to your heart. And then finding to walk the Jesus way. To walk the Jesus way, you have to slow down. You have to stare at that core of yourself, and you have to invite Christ in there. And uh, it is a it is it is a reflective life, as well as an energetic one and a joyful one. But it is it is uh, it is a different motor driving me. And um, so we talk a lot. I'm obsessed with this idea of altar and stewardship. Yeah. You know, time alone with God so that I can commune with God so that I can be consecrated to God as he, you know, takes off those rough edges of my personality or my anger or whatever. He confronts that with me in the private place through his scripture, through my reflection, through me wrestling with praying over Lord, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've said in prayer, Lord, this woman you gave me, she is, she is not seeing this right. Only mm-hmm. to have the, the scriptures or the spirit of God prompt me. No, no, no. Really, the problem is you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that happens in this quiet place. I don't think you can, I don't think you can ever find your way there without time alone with God. Yes. Receiving from God. So then you can get up and live for God, but not in self-discipline, but in spiritual power. That's, I mean, that sounds like a, a cure to a lot of problems. <laughs> it is, and it, and and it's a way of life. It's not a, it's not a self discipline. It's just a new way of life, viewing your source of life as being God Himself, not yourself. Yeah, it's really hard to explain. I wish there was a way to just you know use a magic stick and touch someone and <laughs> bam, they get it. You know, I would love yeah. it to be that way. Well, I think it's it's tough because I think it's like it's like working out. Anybody you ask would say, "Yeah, working out is the good thing to do." <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, the statistics aren't don't back up. You know, the people who would say that, yeah, aren't doing it. So you remember the movie Central Intelligence? And I don't think so. You never saw that with the Rock oh, you and sh- Kevin yeah, Hart. You showed that one to me. And he's this fat, heavy kid in high school. And then when he sees him again, he's chiseled. He's the Rock. Yeah. Oh, anybody could do this. Well, how did you do it? You work out 17 hours a day and, you know, <laughs> you, and he's like, anyone can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's like, it, I think a lot of people know that the secret place, even if they wouldn't call it that and they wouldn't call it, you know, the altar and stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're aware of that system, but it's, it's all, it's almost as hard to force yourself to do that as it is to stop a sin that you're struggling with. Yeah. I do think pace is a big deal. Um, speed, busyness, these are enemies. Mm. And so I think uh, really you're talking about self-awareness as much as anything. Man, I blew my top. I yelled at my wife or I got frustrated or I, you know, I wanted to kill that driver that just cut me off. Why am I so angry? And then pausing, you know, at some point in that day, just getting off by yourself. Lord, why am I so angry? Where's this anger coming from? Yeah. Is it really that big a deal that that car got in front of me? Was I afraid I was going to get hurt? What, what, you know, and just, Lord, show me what's going on in me. What, what's happening there? So it's about spending some time there. Yeah. Well, I, I would love, uh, 
anybody to send us thoughts, questions, comments. Always. Would be really helpful so that we can make sure we're making sense to anyone. Um, this is a, I, I think that the invitation from God to live the Jesus life is a very real invitation that you can have a completely different life that still bears a great resemblance to the one you're living. It's just a freed one. Sure. Um, and so you don't become a freak. You don't become a different person. You don't go from joyful, energetic to somber and reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, let's, I, I just, we, uh, we, we bless you. We hope you, uh, <laughs> Give that a, a, a visit to the quiet place with the Lord. Uh, and if we can help in any way, we'd sure love to do that. Yeah, best ways to reach us uh, is uh, info at jimandjohn.com. No way from John. Uh, or a private message on uh, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, works a lot too, or works yep. really well. Or uh, even a comment on there. Or uh, Yep. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to make one, one little commercial. Um, you know, we have our book, The Pursuit, and Christmas is coming. And we did just order a reshipment of those books. So we have about three cases of those. And they make a great Christmas gift. So if you're interested in giving a copy of The Pursuit to a family member or a friend, uh, you can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. And we can hook you up with trying to get some of those shipped to wherever you wanted to get them shipped. Um, but it's a, it's a great, I think, what are they, fourteen ninety nine, fifteen bucks? I've, I think they're 15 bucks. Okay. And uh, uh, really, really, uh, if you're interested, if it'd be a blessing to you or to your friends, we'd love to help you out. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you Have next week. Have a great week. day.